Thank you all. Uh, we do that occasionally where we're aware that there are some things going on. We are in a series uh, about generosity, the giving life. And just to catch uh, some of you up, we, uh, I, I got to thinking about it this week, just uh, uh, that, that number one, I'm ready for 2023 to be long gone. All right, there were, there were some days that, that were really, really hard in 2023. And so, so as I, I shared with you last week, I'm, I'm looking forward to a, a season here where we can watch what God is doing. And as a matter of fact, next week in, in Philippians chapter 3, that's kind of what the chapter is about, what God has done, what He is doing, what He will be doing. And we all look forward to that. Well, for me, the, uh, the, the gratitude that I felt in my heart was the theme of this whole series. We're calling it the giving life. And there are two ways we're talking about giving. One, we are aware that God is giving to us. And number two, we're aware that we have the ability to give uh, to Him. Jesus, let new wine come out of me. But most of the letter that we're looking at has to do with the fact that God is giving to us, that He's pouring into us, that He's, he's giving us time, and He's giving us talent, and He's given us resources, He's given us friendships, He's given us this community of faith. Uh, it's a, it was an object lesson that we didn't plan on today, but today I'm going to talk a lot about how it's better that we're together. This room has warmed up 10 degrees since all you guys came in here. And so there's warmth in fellowship, in, in both literally and figuratively. There's, there's warmth when we get together. And so this, this whole thing is about input that God is pouring into us. And output, we get to give to others. But most of what Paul really is talking about in this letter is input. Output for sure. He's talking about being grateful for their generosity. They have supported him financially. He's in jail. and, And back then, the way jail worked was that you didn't eat unless somebody brought you food. And so they were able to fund the food that he would have to eat while he was incarcerated. The other part of his thanksgiving was that they were supporting churches that were struggling. So there was sort of a missions offering going on as well. And, and he was grateful for that output. But most of what he speaks about is input. How God pours into him. How God pours into the, the church. And, and how we are better together. So I want to call today the partnership of generosity. That this giving life, this, this ongoing output has to do with a, a number of things. It, it has to do with accountability. It has to do with obedience. And those two together point at discipleship. But what Paul is after here is that it is both an individual track and a community track. It's important that I pray for Jim, my friend. But it's important that we all do, that we all come together knowing that, that the prayers of the many uh, are, 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 are multiplied. And that's the way it is mostly in discipleship. So the, the main thing that I want you to kind of take away today is that Paul has been talking about unity. He's been talking about 
how God has started something in us, Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work will complete it, will perfect it, will carry it on. Then he talked in in chapter 2 about how if there's encouragement in Christ, then let you regard others as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. So he's been tracking on this, hey, we're better together kind of theme. So track this way. Discipleship is the community. It's, it's individual, but it's also community. Can we put that up there? Is it, is it invisible ink and I'm just not seeing it? Okay, never mind. I'll just tell it to you. It's uh, lived out in community. And all of these words, just checking, all of these words that are in there are are Paul saying, yes, there are instructions for you as individuals. There are things you better grab a hold of. But there's something about community. Now, there's lots of sayings about community. Okay, there's, there's lots of things about us being together. And I, I collected a few of them. I, I don't know if we're going to be able to, to show them on screen, but there's a, an old proverb that's either African or uh, Native American or Egyptian or folksy or Appalachian humor. Uh, nobody really knows where it comes from, so everybody claims it. But it basically goes like this, faster alone, farther together. Faster alone, farther, oh, Got it. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Helen Keller had a a better version of this. She said, alone, we can do a little. Together, we can do a lot. Henry Ford further refined it. He said, coming together is a beginning. Staying together is progress. And working together is success. And then I combined all of those together with an an adaptation of something that somebody else said, snowflakes in themselves are insignificant, but if enough of them stick together, they can stop traffic. And so we are that communal gathering that we start to realize that, yes, we are significant in ourselves, but we are so much more powerful when we are together. And the way I I sort of title that is that Paul is trying to help us understand how the you becomes y'all, how the you's, the individual instructions, become communal instructions. Let's think about it for a second. Paul said to us back in chapter 1, verse 27, he says, You should conduct yourselves in a way that is worthy of the gospel. And we pointed out that the words he, are, that he used there, he's actually saying you should all be good citizens of the gospel. And I think it's fair to say a citizen does not a country make. So it's plural from the very beginning. And all of the 
pronouns that he uses here are plural. He, he, he's, yes, he's talking about things that are important for individuals to hear, but he's saying, think about it collectively, thinking about it as a church that is growing, a church that is maturing, a church that is being discipled. That's part of my decision to stick around for a little while is that, that all the good things that are happening here, I want to be a part of that because God is doing things here with us individually but also collectively. And diving into the Scripture, verse 12 in chapter 2, he starts off with the word that we talked about uh, over and over again. It's the word therefore, and we know that when we see it, we have to look and see what it's there for, that it, it always refers back to something. And so the, the therefore at the beginning of chapter 2 referred back to walk worthy in the gospel. And the therefore here refers back to the obedience and the accountability that he's calling us to because we imitate the humility of Christ. So, so humility always involves other people. Hard to be humble alone. Think about it. Uh, humility always involves the way we regard other people. So he says, therefore... My dear friends, uh, none of your translations have the singular friend. As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Now, all of us who are parents, we know that our kids behave much better around other people than they do around us. It's, it's a given. It's a universal. It's in the Bible somewhere. And uh, so when we get our kid back from a spend-the-night party or something, they say, your kid was so well-behaved. And I say, describe that kid. That's not the one that left. And Paul is basically saying here, you guys have acted the same way when I'm there as when I'm not there. You, you, you have obeyed collectively. You have obeyed. You as a church have been on track. You've done the things that you ought to do. You haven't done the things that you shouldn't do. But, but there's, there's something in your midst that needs to be addressed. And he's not going to address it till chapter 4. There's these two women that are bickering, but he's getting to that. And so he's saying, let there be this you, yes, instructions that are particular to individuals, but, but receive those instructions as an entire church. So he says, therefore, my beloved, not, you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. And now he gets to the guts of it. He says, continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for God is at work in you. Let me pull that apart. And let me say it this way. Faith is a verb. In John's gospel, contrary to some of the others, he never treats faith as a noun. He never treats faith as something you possess. I have faith. I got faith. He treats it as something you do. You faith. The community of faith is faithing. And so he sees it as a noun, something that you do. Now, with that background, let's talk about the words that he uses here, because they can be confusing if you're not careful. He says two things. He says, work out your salvation. And we're all kind of going, okay, I thought that you weren't supposed to work out salvation. I, I thought that you were supposed to allow that God gives it to us. In Ephesians 2, he says, for by grace are you saved through faith. 
And even that faith is not your own. It's a free gift of God because if you could gain it, you would brag about it. That's what he says. So faith is supposed to be something that, 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 that we receive from God. Our, 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 our salvation is something we receive from God. It's a free gift of God. What do you mean, work it out? Well, again... Jesus said, when two or more are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of you. Collective. Hebrews 10, 25, it says, do not neglect the assembling together. Continue to be together. That's the backdrop here. And so now he's saying, you all work out your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. He doesn't say work at your salvation. He says, work your salvation. There really doesn't need to be an article there. Work your salvation. Stay with the program. You've always obeyed when I'm around or when I'm not. Continue to work it. And the recovery community, they always have a saying at the end of a meeting, keep coming back because it works if you work it. Talking about the process, talking about the... And so when Paul is saying, work out your salvation, he's not saying work for your salvation. It is a free gift of God. And he qualifies that in the next line. He says, for it is God who is at work in you. Well, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's a free gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And then the very next verse, he says, for we are His workmanship created in Christ to do good works. So this tension between what God does and what we do is throughout the Bible. And here he clarifies it a little bit. He says, yes, God has given it to you. That's his right. That's the the input. He's, He's given you these gifts. And the output is that you work them out. You work the program. You work the process. And be confident it's God who is at work in you. He's still talking about both individual and communal. And he's actually getting to the reason that we do that. And it has to do with the next few verses. He says, for it is God who is in you, who God who works in you, to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose. Now, you remember back in chapter 1, maybe you do, maybe you don't, that he talked about there's going to be some times that are tough. There are going to be some circumstances that are not pleasant. Keep on working it. Keep on working it. There's going to be some times where you don't understand, where there's opposition, where there's tragedy, where there's grief, where there's loss, where there's fractured relationships. Some of you may be going through that right now. He says, keep on, keep on, persevere. Talk about that a lot more next week. Keep on. He's worked in the past. He's working in the present. He'll work in the future. But right now, keep on working that salvation out. Work out your discipleship. Why? Because it fulfills his purpose. It fulfills his will. And then he closes this section with some instructions that for me hit pretty close to home. He said, 
stop complaining and start shining. Let me explain. Start, stop complaining and start shining. Verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And some of your translations say without grumbling or disputes. Let me define the word grumbling. You remember the old cartoons where the character in the cartoon was going to talk about ugly things, maybe use a little profanity, but they couldn't say profanity on cartoons. So they showed the cartoon character going, that's grumbling right there. Yeah, that's that internal thing that, that, that you may not be cussing on the outside, but you cussing on the inside. Uh, that's that, 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 that internal kind of unrest where nothing feels right. Somebody looks at you, they're going to go, let me just go another direction. The other word that he uses there is when it becomes public. Don't, don't grumble, but also don't complain or don't have disputes. That, that word has a legal basis that's, that's more like filing a civil lawsuit or saying something out loud about a situation or about somebody. And so track it, right? He's saying, stay together. You're together, and that's a good thing. Don't forget that you collective are growing. You're working out your salvation. And as you do, do it without grumbling or complaining. Do it without the internal just dark cloud. But also don't bring it out in the open. Some of you are here for the first time or the first couple of times, and I'm glad you are. But likely or not, you looked at us online you talked to some people about us because you had to answer the question in you, why should I bother to go to church? Why should I bother to go to that church? And the, 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 the answers that you get, especially from people who don't go to church, well, churches are, are full of people that just talk bad about each other. The, the old joke, a deserted island, it's got four people on it and two Baptist churches. One of them's the one I go to now, and one's the one I used to go to. And, 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 and it's, it's not okay, but it's, it's true that we as believers have this reputation for constantly fighting with each other. You, you see it in the news all the time. The Methodists are fighting one week. The Catholics are fighting another week. The Baptists are fighting another week. Presbyterians are pretty much in it all the time. Sorry. And you, you get this... No wonder people don't want to come to church. No wonder Paul says, do things without grumbling or disputing. Do, do your business without airing out all the laundry. Go to each other if you've got a problem. But stop letting the world hear that the toxicity is in here. Why would anybody want to come to church? If all the church is known for is this toxic interaction. That's where he's getting at. He says, do all things without grumbling, without disputes. And look at what he says. So that. Now, throughout this passage, if you want to get a more understanding about it, take a pen and circle every time he says then or therefore or so that. 
And you're going to see that he's kind of building a case. He, he, he sees this as a progression. You've got to understand the input in order for there to be output. The input, you've got to focus on that input that God is pouring into you. He's pouring faith. He's pouring grace. He's pouring gifts. He's pouring time. He's pouring talent. He's pouring this community. And the output, yes, it has to do with your resources, but your affections, your passions, your time, your friendships. How do you pour out so that you may become blameless, verse 15, and pure. That part is both individual and collective. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Some of your Bibles say a perverse generation. I don't think it's any secret that the world is sort of a nutty place right now. That the immorality and the uh, uh, identity politics and politics in general. I've always loved that the word politics comes from two words. Poly, which means many, and ticks, which means blood-sucking parasite. just is. That's kind of the way the world is, right? It's toxic on media. It's toxic on television. It's toxic in entertainment. It's toxic in politics. It's toxic in your HOA. It's toxic everywhere you go where there's this, this pervasive immorality and chasing after the things that aren't of God. And Paul is saying the church should look different. You are in the midst of that generation. Stop complaining. You know, we got a culture of complaint, right? Poor service at a restaurant, light them up on Twitter or X or Z or whatever it's called. If you you put a sign in your yard, if you're not pleased with something. Make sure everybody knows on your social media feeds or, or, or whatever channels that you have, your, your YouTube channel. Post a little video about how mad you are about somebody doing something. Complain. We have a culture of complaints. Paul's saying be different. And I love the way he says it. He says, so that you will shine like stars. Now, if I was to have a, a show of hands just for the fun of it, how many of you would say that stars illuminate the night sky? Yeah, it's fair. But you know what? You can't go outside with your favorite book and say, I'm going to read by starlight. They, they don't illuminate that much. As a matter of fact, the thing that stars do the most is to contrast with the darkness around them. I've told you before, I'm a little bit of a geek about a night sky. A good outing for me is the planetarium. But if I'm driving someplace that is free of the light clutter of a city, it's not unusual for me to pull over the side of the road, just lay on the hood of the car and observe the night sky. Because there's all these little points of light. And what those points of light do is to show you the contrast between what light would look like in this canvas of darkness. That's where Paul's going. 
You're in the midst of a corrupt generation. You're in the midst of a crazy, chaotic, immoral world. Why don't you be points of light? Why don't you be the contrast so that the world can see the difference between someone who, as the Scripture goes on to say, you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Firmly together. Shining, not complaining. Individually, yes, points of light. But how much more impressive is it in the night sky to see the array of light piercing through the inky darkness. That's where Paul is going with this. Our witness to the world, our forward-facing, outward-facing, the things that people say about us, are we going to be an oasis in that crooked and perverse generation? Are we going to be accurately described as not really that much different from the world? Closing of the chapter talks about Timothy and a a guy named Epaphroditus. It's one of those names we've retired from the baby books. But Epaphroditus was apparently an elder or some kind of a, a deacon at the church at Philippi. And Paul thought it necessary to send him back to them to, to let them see what God had done. He'd been really sick. He'd almost died. And they prayed for him and they supported him. And, and Paul thought it was important that they be encouraged with the, the, the fruit of their prayers, with the, the evidence that God was at work. That ends the chapter. As I was kind of wrestling with what all this meant, I said, okay, God, what are you trying to show me in all this? If I was to do sort of a takeaway, because I know that when I start studying the Bible, and especially when I teach the Bible, I ramble a lot. Sorry, not sorry. What is he trying to tell me in this? And and, and number one, embrace the gift. Embrace it. God has given you the gift of his son. For he so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not have eternal death, would not be like the crooked and perverse generation, but inherit, have eternal life. He didn't come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Embrace the gift. That gift especially. And if you are here and have never embraced Christ as Savior, I'm going to say a prayer in just a moment that that I would invite you to pray with me. And and then if that affirms what's going on in your heart and spirit, that you would come see me afterwards or come see uh, one of our volunteers in the Connection Corner, people around you. Embrace the gift that you have been given And that you have the opportunity to give. Embrace that he's given you uh, talent. He's given you time. He's given you abilities, skills, relationships, networks. Embrace that he has given you a great gift so that you can be points of light. So that you can give it away. The second thing he taught me was to celebrate this community. 
I don't tell you enough how much I appreciate you. I don't tell you how, how enough how no matter how chilly it is in the room when I get in here, it's warm. And I hope that if you're visiting with us today or if you're, if you're going to be part of the, those of you who signed up for the lunch that we're going to have in a little bit, that, that there's this sense of fellowship. And if somebody says, why do you get up early? Why do you bother to go to church? You'll say, I, I just want to tell you, I celebrate the fellowship. I celebrate my student ministry, my children's ministry, my volunteer assignment, my whatever team you're on. I, I celebrate that we get to be together. And you know what the third thing he told me was? Stop complaining. Alan, you're by nature a glass half empty kind of guy. See it as half full. Stop complaining. Whoever cuts you off in traffic, they're having a worse day than you. Just stop complaining. I don't want to hear it. The world doesn't want to hear it. It doesn't move the needle of the gospel. He told me, embrace the gifts, celebrate this fellowship, and stop complaining. Maybe that's helpful to you as well. Would you pray with me? If you never embraced Christ as your Savior, if you've never gotten into this community of faith that Paul's talking about here, perhaps you would say something this simple. God, I I need you in my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for providing forgiveness for my sins. I invite you into my life. I desire to live in this community of faith as a disciple. Help me to do that. I repent. I'm sorry for the sins, the things that I've done that don't honor you, the things that act just like the world. Thank you for your forgiveness. Come into my life. I want to be your disciple. And if you prayed that prayer, you have invited Christ into your life. You have become a Christian. And if that's the case, we want to know about it. I'll be in the lobby after the service. Come find me. Go to the connection corner, find a volunteer, make that story known. For the rest of us, embrace the gift, celebrate the community, stop complaining. God, give us the courage, the strength, the fellowship, the grace to do these things so that we may shine like stars in the midst of of a culture that is dark. In Jesus' name I pray.